Yeah, you! You like Cracker Jacks? Well, I'm not talking about the old recipe. I'm talking about that new recipe with molasses. What about the fine taste of peanut butter? You know who else likes peanut butter? Jelly! Well, speaking of jelly, ooh, what about some Dr. Welsh's unfermented wine? That's pretty good. Well, you might know it as Welch's grape juice. All of these originated at an exposition. In layman's terms, a fair. The 1893 World Columbian Exposition on this week's This Was a Thing. This was a thing, that was a thing, Lord Almighty, what a thing, states like Maine and Wyoming, Lally Cooper, what a thing, oh Susanna, Lordy, what a thing, oh that hairpin pilfering, Lord Almighty, what a thing. Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Ray. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. This week, we're looking at the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition. Ooh, I love exposition. Right? Well, there's going to be a lot of exposition in this one. Now, this was a thing because World's Fairs were the best place to show off the latest and the greatest in things. From foods to technology to art, World's Fairs attract did tons of people, and after some successful ones in Europe, America thought it was their time to shine. And let me tell you, the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition introduced the world to some uh, bangers. <laughs> yeah. like, like bangers and mash? No, well, no, I think that was probably a European one. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. What When you describe a World's Fair, the first thing I think of is a county fair. Oh, no. Like the Ventura County Fair. Oh, no. Has, we're all the same things you're mentioning. So what, what like, is it just bougier? No, well, like, it was one of those things that when Edison was in his heyday, he would show off his new things at the World's Fair. <laughs> like the newest, uh, there would be new- Edison in his heyday. Yeah, Edison, you know, you know Alva in his heyday, you know, that Coos <laughs> Down, Alva. He really he, he could light things up. Oh, Hi, God. I'm Ray Hebel. <laughs> now I want to start off, listeners, by saying Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. New Year's is about starting fresh, exploring new things, making resolutions that are eventually broken. We thought it would be a, a perfect to deep dive into something that was celebrating the 130th anniversary. That's right. Ooh. Of Columbia? Uh, no, the 1893 World Columbian Exposition. Oh, now is the anniversary. Years, yeah. Oh, you're right. 23, baby. You're right. It's like, you know what? It's time we're going to be the ones that go happy 130th. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think what the 75th anniversary is like a diamond. So 130's got to be like two diamonds. Yeah, two diamonds. <laughs> 2D. 2D. All right. Now, Ray literally just played with his nipples when we said <laughs> that. And I don't know why you did that. Well, because it's two diamonds. They're diamonds. Oh. Uh, but uh, glass because them. we're such close, trusting friends, I'm going to refer to the exposition as Expo. Whoa. <laughs> it's more fun that way. That's what I'm saying. We're starting off the New Year's with a, a real fun episode. We <laughs> you, love fun. How are you, listeners? All right, give them time to answer. Uh-huh. Night. Oh, whoa, you're a talker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Th- well, we got to get started. All righty. <laughs> <laughs> So the 1893 World's Columbian Expo was a big deal. It had a fancy name, but it was essentially, like I said, a World's Fair. It was held in Chi-Town, my town, 
city of Chicago, city of broken hearts, broken shoulders, <laughs> and broken dreams. <laughs> you now owe them a royalty. <laughs> <laughs> but this is far from the world's first major World's Fair. World's Fairs were honestly once a huge deal. Now, county fairs are fairly huge deals. World's Fairs were like, there's one around and people travel from all over to go to it. Now, if you don't know what a World's Fair, they were large expositions that were once often very multicultural, meaning that there were different countries there. We love multicultural here, right? I feel like it's probably not the same definition of multicultural as it is now, though. I feel like... <laughs> Nothing is more validating than two white guys telling you how much they love multicultural on a podcast. Now, it, like I said, there was a bunch of different uh, countries at these world fairs. They showcased the latest and greatest, mostly from the host nation. So, you know, whatever the host nation's been working on, they're like... Twinkie, Ding Dong. Exactly, exactly. What you mean by host. Now, Robert W. Rydell, shout oh. out Rydell, hi. He's a cultural historian and the author of All the World's Affair, says world's fairs are genuinely part of a reaction to social dislocation, political upheaval, and deep anxiety about the future. When they first began back in the middle of the 19th century, they were overwhelmingly perceived by both organizers and visitors as a world's universities. So it's like, Oh, it's that's like the, interesting. I never it, thought of it like that. It's like before. yeah, cuz it's the smart I mean, it's real literally like the best stuff that has been wor been worked on in each country kind of and I feel like they are the, they pick which goes to be shown and stuff. Like I said, they were the best place to show off new things. And who doesn't love new things? I love new things. I know do you, you love do. new things? I love new things. Now, now, I'm talking advancements, technology, fashion, food, architecture. Before the internet, mind you, it was like a living, breathing Instagram ad. It was like People <laughs> Magazine's Best Autumn Gifts article in your face. If you wanted to be in the know, you got to the World's Fair or Columbian Exposition. I wanted to give you a little history on World's Fairs, you know, just kind of before we get into the 1893 World's Columbian Expo. And this is an edited down version. What's considered the first, you know, this type of World's Fair was held in 1791 to go along with the coronation of Leopold II, King of Bohemia, which we all knew, of course. I know. love rent. It took place in Prague. <laughs> exactly. It was in Prague. Now, there was obviously there were smaller ones in Paris between 1798 and 1849. Of these French ones, there would be 11 of these in total, uh, or as they say in France, onze of these expos. Now, the 10th one, though, introduced the world to some major inventions, and I'm talking big stuff. The gold medal of that year went to some machinist. Cool. But Soap. All, yeah, exactly. But, but honorable mentions include the sax horn, which was oh. the big brother to the saxophone, developed by Adolf Sax. Also introduced the world to the first mechanical calculator called the arithmometer. <laughs> Mechanical bull. Oh, yeah. I was like, what's going on? Oh my on? god, that would be so good. And now, the, <laughs> now the first World Fair that happened in America happened in 1829. It was called the American Institute Fair. It was founded for the encouragement of agriculture, commerce, manufacturers, and art. Held annually until 1897. It was smaller compared to other fairs, but it only attracted around 30,000 visitors per year. But still a small fair attracting 30,000 is still a pretty big... Pretty big get. Ethan Roby wrote of the American Institute Fairs for his dissertation at Columbia, which, you know, just sounds like big words to me. Now, the paper is called The Utility of Art Mechanics Institute Fairs in New York City, 1828 to 1876. That's the full title. I wanted to give it to you because he spent the time to write it. Now, I only saw the movie. Uh <laughs> 
<laughs> he says, at these fairs were displayed the finest products of agriculture and manufacturing, the newest types of machinery, the most recent contributions to inventive genius. The fair served as twofold purpose, that of playing the part of demonstrator to the public and that of furnishing an incentive to the exhibitors, both through competition and through the desire to win the very liberal arts and premiums. So essentially, this is one of those things that people not only got to see how these cool new inventions, they got to see how they worked and how they would help their lives get improved and stuff. Beautiful. Then in 1851, you know, that year rolled around and London held the great exposition of the works of industry of all nations. It wound up being so successful that it is now listed as the first World's Fair. So sorry, 11 French exhibitions. We're back to zero now. This was organized by the Royal Society for the Encouragement of Arts, Manufacturers, and Commerce. Now, it was a way for countries to showcase their achievements, but Britain still set out to prove that they were superior. They were number one still, even after they lost, uh, what, uh, 76 years before that? Now, the British exhibits at the Great Exposition held the lead in almost every field where strength, durability, utility, and quality were concerned, whether in iron and steel, machinery, or textiles. So whatever was showing off... They had to have the best of it, and then everyone else could just, you know, that's fine. To hold the fair, Britain built the Crystal Palace. Now, it's a massive structure that was 1,848 feet long by 454 feet wide, so it was a little bigger than six football fields long. Now, I should say American football. (laughs) Thank God. Um, Now... Inside the building's large size, was it had tons of trees and statues and this beautiful glass building. There were over 13,000 exhibits, 13,000 of them. Now, Whoa, that's yeah, a lot. It's a lot. Britain being the host country filled around half of the Crystal Palace. You know, colonizing was all they knew. Now, exhibits included hydraulic presses, an envelope machine, printing presses, kitchen appliances, steam engines, and steel-making devices. The world's largest known diamond at the time was on display. There was also an exhibit where a locksmith showed off the inadequacies of modern-day locks. Now, the Great Exposition turned out to be a giant success between May 1st and October 15th, or as they say over there, 1st of May, 15th and October, 1851. Uh, a total of 6 million people visited. Average daily was about 43,000 people, with a peak of about 110,000 visitors so that on a day. And it made a surplus of over 186,000 pounds, which today would be equivalent to 18 million pounds. Where did the money go? I think just back into the government and stuff. Ah, I see. Now, the Great Exposition was also sponsored by the world's first soft drink, Schweppes. (laughs) I love Schweppes. Yep, soft drinks have been sponsoring fair since 1851, people. Thank you, Schweppes. Schweppes. Now, this kick-started the golden age of world's fairs. Oh, boy. So the Great Exposition walked... So tons of world players could fly. That's right, folks. Now, America had a few more, too, obviously. In 1853, New York had the Exposition of Industry of All Nations. Exposition. I'm walking here! Inspired by what Britain had done two years earlier. Now, the New York Crystal Palace was built, and 1.1 million visitors came through in 16 months that it was open. The Centennial... International Exposition came to Philadelphia in, when is it, Rob? Can you guess? Centennial Exposition. 1850. Centennial Exposition. Uh, 1860, 70, 80. 
1876, Rob. 1876 is when the centennial occurred, ladies and gentlemen. 1876. Now, this is to celebrate the what, Rob? What happened? This was celebrating the 100th anniversary of World's Fairs. Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence, uh, which was uh, written by Jules Verne. Now, 37 countries King. participated okay. in all in this one. And let me just tell you some of the things that were introduced at this expo for the first time. Alexander Graham Bell's telephone, Edison's automatic telegraph system, the Remington number one typewriter, Heinz ketchup, Hires root beer, and popcorn. That was all introduced at this one fair. How do you even top that? The right arm and torch of the Statue of Liberty was on display. For 50 cents, you could climb the ladder to the balcony. The money raised was used to fund the pedestal that the Lady Liberty stands on today. How cool is that? More than 200 buildings were constructed for this fair, and they were surrounded by a fence that was nearly three miles long. This is a big event. Where was this again? New York City. In the city proper? Yeah. Oh, because there's lots of open land yeah. back then. Now, the exhibition had nearly 10 million visitors in the six months that it was open. Wow. Moving on. We're going back to France, folks. Expo Universelle of 1889. Now, this one was the one that made people in America go, oh, wow. Okay, well, we got to do something. We really got to do something and invent and, and, and show off some stuff. So... Tons of World Fair all over the world happening, separate countries at the same time. But this next biggest one after Centennial Expo was the Exposition Universal 1889. It took place in France, 1889, surprise, and it introduced the world to the Eiffel Tower, which was the world's tallest building at the time. Oh, I okay. People were freaking out over it. Have you ever been to the Eiffel Tower? I have not. It is. It really is as stunning as everyone says it is. I'm sure. Have you ever done an Eiffel Tower? No. Okay. Now, the exposition was held to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the storming of Bastille, which marked the beginning of the French Revolution. This was also a way for France to stimulate its economy because it put itself in, in a recession. So it was trying to get out of it. Buffalo Bill Cody's Wild West stunt show provided entertainment. Perfect for France. <laughs> they must have loved that. They must have loved it. Especially that Annie Oakley gal. Barnum and Bailey Circus was there too. A whole building filled with all the latest advancements and machinery. Edison had a booth that showed off all of his different inventions. Ornate architecture built from the expo was torn down. Only thing that remained up was the Eiffel Tower. So from what I understand, most buildings that were built for these usually would end up being torn down afterwards. That all leads me to the 1893 World's Columbian Expo. Teach me, sensei. America wanted to commemorate the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus' arrival to the new world hence the name Columbian Expo oh Christopher Columbus real shitty dude just gotta throw this out there short history of him helped initiate the Atlantic slave trade and American Indian genocide Uh, so fuck you Christopher Columbus I love his movies (laughs) okay I loved Rent Oh, oh, not Chris Columbus. That's the one you go for. What else did he do? He did Harry Potter. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. He did. No, he didn't. He did uh, Rent. New York, St. Louis, Washington, D.C., and Chicago were finalists to hold the fair. Each city hoped to host, knowing it would boost real estate values, promote their city, most importantly, a turn a profit. Congress was called on to decide the location. Why are they getting involved? I don't know. Which, boy, I would love to see today. Congress. Today? Nothing will get done. Exactly. Now, Congress said that it should be an exposition of the progress of civilization in the new world. Okay. Okay. I'll buy that. 
Representative Thomas Barber Bryant argued that the most important qualities of the World's Fair were abundant supplies of good air and pure water, ample space, accommodations, and transportation for all exhibits and visitors. Okay, AOC. (laughs) Now, he argued that New York had too many obstructions and Chicago would be able to use large amounts of land around the city that was already not a house to buy and not a rock to blast. And that it would be so located that the artisan and the farmer and the shopkeeper and the man of humble means would be able to access the fair easily. Now, this guy was an orator, huh? That's beautiful, precious. (laughs) Seven rounds of voting happened, and then boom! Chicago it was. Congratulations to the Great Windy City. Great Windy City. Now, this was a big win for the city. It was only about a decade removed from the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. (laughs) The 1876 Centennial Expo in Philadelphia ended up being a financial failure, you could say. And uh, even with the 10 million visitors, they still... Uh, still we came all this way for a cheesesteak? <laughs> but that didn't stop, though. They just wanted to celebrate. They just had to celebrate that 400th anniversary of Chrissy C. Now, at this time, the Gilded Age was going on in America. The Gilded Age? With Christine Baranski? Yeah, Christine Baranski. Yeah, I just imagine Christine Look Baranski. at me in the cusset. so there was rapid economic growth they wanted to paint a picture of how prosperous america was at the time and chicago was a perfectly blank canvas baby yeah it burned down yeah there's nothing there which means the world columbian expo was the paint apparently Mm. so if you want to think about metaphors go ahead and think about that now renowned architect daniel h burnham was selected as director of works while george r davis was given the role of director general now burnham emphasized that architecture and sculpture was central to the fair's theme now he would go on to design the Flatiron building in new york oh too so they're getting like the people they got they got good people yeah they got really good people they got like the best of the best in america at the time so that was kind of a cool thing Burnham invited Frederick Law Olmsted, considers America's premier landscape architect at the time, to develop a site for the plan of the fair. Now, he's famous for planning a park in New York City. Uh, yeah, but uh, uh, Central Park, yeah. So that's pretty, that's that's a good guy to have. Now, Olmsted, along with his partner, Harry Codman, what a name, chose Jackson Park on Lake Michigan to set the exposition. Artistic director was Augustus St. Gaudens. Gloop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who was a sculptor, chose artists who would be part of the fair's decorative program. They included impressionist painter Mary Cassatt and uh, Daniel Chester French, who would go on to create the Lincoln Monument in 1920. This is from PBS. When the architects met in Chicago in 1891 to share their designs with one another, Olmsted noted, The general comradeship and fervor of the artists was delightful to witness and more delightful to fall into. Together they collaborated on a magnificent vision and enjoyed their own audacity in dreaming it up. Now, they would build 14 great buildings all centered around a giant reflecting pool called the Great Basin. Oh. The area at the Court of Honor was known as the White City. Oh, boy. Now, the facades were made of a mixture of plaster, cement, and jute fiber called staff, which was painted white, giving the city the name the White City. And their gleam. Gleam of white. Really? Why not the Alabaster City? Why not the Eggshell City? It was also called the White City because of the extensive use of street lights, which made the boulevards and buildings usable at night. This was early electricity, so I'll kind of get into that, too. So just, that was a sight to behold. Now, the 14 buildings each had a theme, for lack of a better word. I love a theme. Now, agricultural building would have the latest in agriculture. How novel. (laughs) Yep. The machinery building, the latest in machinery. 
etc. Different buildings, though, administration building, agricultural, manufacturers, and liberal arts, mines and mining, electricity, machinery, women's building, transportation building, fisheries building. First aid? Is there a first aid? No. I cut myself. Forestry building, horticultural building, anthropology building, palace of arts building, and the U.S. government building. The fair is time to officially open. It's May 1st, 1893. Now, it was originally supposed to be closed on Sundays, but thanks to the Chicago Women's Club, that changed. Chicago Women's Club made the point that it should be open on Sundays so that people that couldn't get work off could attend on the weekend. That's a great idea. At this time, electricity was still a new concept, which debuted at the 1876 World Fair in Philadelphia. So that was Technically, fair. bathing is a new concept as well. That's fair. But it would just be perfect to illuminate this beautiful city. Like I said, the city of white. But we need to note that since it was new, it wasn't trusted by the public yet. Mm. So apparently it just didn't seem safe to them. So it's all the... Like, oh, look how beautiful it is. I don't want to get near it. This expo could be just the thing to prove, though, to these people that it's worth all the wonderful uses that electricity has. It's a big deal. Yeah, so, like, you know, showing what electricity can do at something like this is a very big thing for electricity. In the early 1890s, there were two major players in electricity. There was Thomas Alva Edison and George Westinghouse Jr. Wow, those are names. These two dudes had their own companies and they went head to head. Edison had General Electric. Westinghouse had Westinghouse. Bids were made by the provider of electricity for the expo. The plan was to power 93,000 incandescent lamps. Westinghouse initially didn't bid, but wound up agreeing to be the contractor for a local Chicago company, and they bid a low $510,000. General Electric's bid was $1.72 million, so over three times what the Westinghouse bid was. Now, after the fair committee went over the bids, General Electric rebid with all their costs coming to 554000 Westinghouse Company rebid at $0.70 cents less a lamp, so Westinghouse won the bid. So he, he, was, he wanted to get it no matter what, and I think that might have ended up shooting him in the foot later on. Because of patents and probably a general sense of cattiness, obviously, Westinghouse actually wasn't allowed to use the designs of Edison's sealed bulb of glass, is what it was called. It wasn't a light bulb, a sealed bulb of glass. How about light bulb? No. <laughs> sealed bulb of glass. Uh, now, they had to come up with their own design, uh, uh, you know, to make their own. Uh, design worked well enough, but it required a small army of workers to constantly replace them. And I'm sure that job was just about as safe as you could get in 1893. Also, don't forget, at this time, you don't know that the bulb's going to be hot. Yeah. You know that now. <laughs> Yeah, like because of these men constantly changing light bulbs on a on a new electrical system. <laughs> like, like I, oh man, I bet that Thomas the shocking. best. This time, best time to go out there. It's raining. It's gonna cool you down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Westinghouse really underbid for this job, and uh, he really struggled to supply everything to keep the expo lit. Now, on top of that, they had to deal with a lawsuit from General Electric that claimed that Westinghouse infringed on their patent. So on top of this, General Electric... Where did they come from? They, they didn't win the bid, so they were like, that's Alva, that's Edison's company. Oh, oh. So they didn't win the bid, so they're like, well, let's tie him up in court. What is wrong with these people? <laughs> exactly. One of the biggest draws of the fair was the Midway Plaisance, called Midway for short. 
It's where they got the term midway. The What's midway. a plaisance? What is that? It's like a pleasure. It's like it's a pleasure place in France. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, now, the midway was 600 feet by one mile long strip of Ooh. land that ran between 59th and 60th streets. It had everything and was considered the, quote, amusement section of the fair. Saul Bloom was put in charge of this area. Saul Bloom. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, up until this point, Bloom was a theater manager who was mostly experienced in staging boxing matches. Oh, no. When he was put in charge of the Midway, he was only 23 years old. But his young age didn't stop him from putting together the most popular area of the expo with 2.25 million admissions in total. Like, And this thing was huge. Now, among the attractions were, you remember what? Premiered at the French one a couple in 1889. The baguette. Well, no, the uh, the the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Well, this at the Midway Plaisance, there was a mini Eiffel Tower. Exactly. Yep. There was a, a, a yep a reproduction of the Eiffel Tower. It was Billy Barty, and well, we won't tell you anymore. There was about a skating that. rink, a diorama of Pompeii. <laughs> which I'm sure was real fun. Uh, reconstructions of Irish castles, recreations of various bazaars and villages from other countries. One such included the streets of Cairo, which featured belly dancer Little Egypt. <gasps> she would do a version of the belly dance called the Hoochie Coochie to a song that was apparently improvised by Saw Bloom and is now associated with Snake Charming. And Saw Bloom came up with. Did he really? Yeah. Obviously, these village reconstructions are mostly frowned upon nowadays, but... Uh, Why? <laughs> it seems like they were going, look at how native and savage the African countries are, and a lot of them and stuff, and like uh, they got like the most... Stereotypical? Stereotypical, exactly, or like... Generalizations? Know, like, yeah, exactly. What they think the Americans would expect to see. Let's give you like a two-dimensional yeah, stereotypical... Exactly. Yeah. There you go. That's a perfect way to put it. Now, the biggest draw to the Midway was a new giant contraption doohickey designed by Mr. George Washington Gale Ferris Jr. Now, back in 1891, when planning the expo was going on, the directors issued a challenge to American engineers. They wanted to come up with a monument that would surpass the Eiffel Tower, which again was introduced, like I said, 1899 in Paris. Something that was quote, original, daring, and unique. So we created the orgy. (laughs) Now let's get back to Mr. George Washington Gailthers Jr. He started off his career in the railroad industry and then became interested in bridge building, which he did in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But Mr. George Washington Gailthers Jr. had an idea that would out-Eiffel Eiffel. His idea was that of a giant, round contraption. That one was a a whale-like thingamabob where visitors would, uh, you know, be able to see the entire expo. Now, the planners felt that there was no way in hell his design would be safe. It just didn't seem logical. But this is Mr. George Washington Gale Ferris Jr. we're talking about here. Now, if there's one thing that we know about Mr. George Washington Gale Ferris Jr., is his persistence. He came back a few weeks later with endorsements from several well-respected engineers, which, you know, is the endorsements you want for something like this, stating that the safety of his design was magnifique. I'm not saying that they spoke French. That was just my interpretation. Now, with those endorsements, Mr. George Washington Gale Ferris Jr. and his team got to work. 
Now, construction started in the winter of 1892-1893. They had to use dynamite to break through three feet of frozen ground to make the foundation for this giant gizmo. Now, this is where they brought in Jimmy J.J. Walker. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, now, <laughs> they used jets of steam to thaw dirt and keep the concrete from freezing. Like, it literally sounds miserable. This sounds awful. Timber was driven 32 feet into the ground, which had steel that was filled with concrete on top of it. Now this doodad would rotate on a 71-ton, 45.5-foot-long axle. Now imagine how big this axle is. Yeah, I'm picturing. It's a big axle. <laughs> Whoa, it's a big axle. It's a big axle. At the time, this axle was the largest hollow forge piece of metal in the world. Now, this thingamajig would end up having 36 passenger cars, each able to accommodate up to 60 people, with a total of 2,160 people. Now, the first test run of this big old doodad was on June 9th, 1893, a month after the fair had already been opened, but that didn't matter. Anticipation and nerves were at an all-time high. There were no cars on its first test, but the workers climbed the spokes and rode to the cheers of the audience. And with that, it seemed like Mr. George Washington Gale Ferris Jr.'s dream, which would become known as the Ferris, Ferris Bueller's Wheel. Day Off. <laughs> exactly. Would become an actuality. Now, Ferris and his associates, W.F. Grano, realized they needed to pat themselves on the backs. This is something that was... This large that could turn that smoothly had never been attempted before, and for it to work essentially on, like, the first go is pretty crazy. Now, it officially opened to the public June 21st, 1893, and obviously was an instant hit. Now, it ended up being 264 feet high, mm. while it may, not, it may not have outdone the Eiffel Tower in height. The Eiffel Tower was over 1,000 feet tall. Eiffel Tower don't rotate, baby. It, it, yeah, it, it had something the Eiffel Tower didn't have motion now it took about 20 minutes for two revolutions the first rotation had six stops for passengers to enter and exit then there was another non-stop nine i kind of like that yeah exactly so it's like they had that all figured out so people could enter and exit do they charge people yeah it was cost fairgoers 50 cents uh, oh okay yeah it carried up to thirty-eight thousand passengers daily and wound up carrying 1.5 million passengers in total it would be the main draw for attendees and help save the fair from bankruptcy and it's just crazy to think that it almost wasn't even built at all the ferris wheel along with all the other uh, random attractions is said to have inspired one attendee george c Tillyu would create america's first amusement park steeplechase park in coney island hey till you thank you world's fair he, he credits his inspiration to what he saw at the uh, expos midway so thank you because of him going there this fair already inspired a guy to start amusement parks <laughs> Happy New Year, Ray. Happy New Year, Rob. Any resolutions? Yeah. To be more generous. You? Same. I wonder if any of our listeners wish to be more generous, too. Well, listeners, if generosity is on your resolution list, head on over to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And search for This Was a Thing and set a monthly donation. Even a dollar helps us. Your contributions help us continue doing what we're doing. And if your resolution is to get rid of all your fatty foods and start a healthy diet, please mail me all fatty foods courtesy of the UPS store on Amsterdam Avenue. Stop that. Mm. May this year bring you happiness, health, and Howard the Duck. Miss Cleo foresees a wonderful year ahead. The cards don't lie. 
Now, one of the things that made this World's Fair so interesting to me is the sheer amount of things that were first introduced to the general mm. public for the first time. The first moving walkway was introduced. Like the thing at the airport. Airport passengers erupt in cheers, originally called the Great Wharf Moving Sidewalk. It was designed by architect Joseph Lyman Sillisby. He would go on to mentor Frank Lloyd Wright. Scottish chemist William Morrison displayed his invention, the first practical self-powered four-wheeled electric carriage in the United States. A car? The first electrical car. Wow. Yeah, and the first fully electrical kitchen which introduced an automatic dishwasher. Something I still do not have in my apartment as of this as of this recording. Now, there were some performances that were interesting. You know I love performances. The Pledge of Allegiance was performed for the first time at the expo. I pledge allegiance to the flag. It was performed by a bunch of school children lined up in military fashion. With no under God in it. Really? Yeah. The Pledge of Allegiance didn't have under God added to it until the 1950s. Really? Yeah. So it used to be one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And in the 50s, during like the communist thing, they changed it to under God. One nation, under God, with liberty and justice for all. Really? Yeah. German bodybuilder Eugene Sando. Was- oh, I know this story. Oh, do you? Yeah, it's Ziegfeld. Yep, exactly. Florence for Ziegfeld. Ziegfeld realizes that the audience were more interested in his big muscles than the amount of weight he lifted. He was a muscle man, and they used to put him in like a G-string. But women would pass out. He would like get on stage and flex his muscles, and the women would pass out. And they he, had never he, seen so much skin he, and muscle before. He would before. do a chain-breaking bit, too, with yeah. his chest. But yeah, so he was the first like strong man. Magician and escape artist Harry Houdini performed his routine with his brother, Theodore, who was also a magician and escape artist. Uh, he would usually bill himself as brother of Houdini. Ooh, that's really sad. <laughs> that's living in the shadows. Look, if there's one thing I love, it's stuff. <laughs> Some pretty not- notable stuff was first introduced at the 1893 World Cup. The U.S. Mint offered its first commemorative coins. Oh, really? The Colombian Exposition Quarter Dollar. And- so sad I perked up. Yeah, well, tell me more. Oh, wait. And the Colombian Exposition Half Dollar. You know what else was first offered? A stamp of some sort. The first U.S. Post Office Department produced its first picture postcards and also its first, can you guess? Commemorative stamp set. You were right. Yes. Oh, yeah. my God. So yes, I knew that. did uh, stamps and postcards. That I'm a did. huge stamp collector. I knew you were a stamp guy, yes. What's one thing that you and I love on This Was a Thing? Besides uh, our loyal listeners, obviously. But what's things that we just, what's something we just love? Bits that go nowhere. No, edible products. Edible products would edible be the second choice. products. So, this fair, oh, my God. God, get ready, get ready, get ready to get hungry. Now, oh, the, no. the Ruchheim brothers of Germany deba- debuted their new recipe for Rugala. Cracker Jacks. Cracker Jacks. They now included, Cracker Jack Rugala. They, they now included molasses. Oh, now, th- what was there before? <laughs> yeah, sugar-coated popcorn had been around for a while, but that molasses edition made it pop. Now, fairgoers were given a box entering the expo, so that was a perfect way of entering the expo. But it would be another 19 Smart. long years before prizes were added to the recipe. Those weren't added until 1912. And you know what the prize was? What? Molasses! <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite candy, Rob? Mine is a Kit Kat. And Reese's. I have like that, Okay, second one. What's in Reese's? Peanut butter. Americans got their first taste of peanut butter Get out. at this fair. Yeah. Get out. Although at the time it was considered more of a medicinal peanut paste. 
Medicinal? Yeah, originally developed as a way for people to get calories that couldn't... I keep burning my hands on the light bulbs. (laughs) Put the medicinal peanut butter paste on it. (laughs) Come on, guys. There's none left in the first aid kit. Now, this form of peanut butter was introduced by Dr. Ambrose Straub. But yes, Aztecs did have a form of peanut paste, but that was ancient times. This was the first, like, uh, modern modern peanut paste. Also debuting to a larger audience at the expo was a drink by Dr. Thomas Welsh, Dr. Welsh's unfermented wine. But uh, but before making its debut, he changed the name to something a little more catchy. Welch's grape juice. Yes. But originally it was called Dr. Welch's Unfermented Wine. Oh, no, that's not a good title. No. Now, let's keep with the theme of the beverages. Mm. A blue ribbon was awarded to the Pabst Brewing Company that oh, year. Oh, really? That's right. Pabst Blue Ribbon received its blue ribbon at the 1893 World Columbians Expo. I had no idea. Yep. So that, yeah, it's called Pabst Blue Ribbon, PBR. The BR is from this expo. Peanut butter, Pabst Blue Ribbon, yeah. uh, Welch's Grape Juice. Uh, gr- Cracker Jacks. Cracker Jacks. Uh, expo attendees got to sample four breakfast staples that are still around today. Cream of wheat was shown off as a fancy new breakfast porridge that was made from the portion of wheat that's not used in making flour. Quaker Oats made its debut, but it wasn't flashy or anything. Quakers, am I right? Now, shredded wheat was introduced by Henry Perky. And last but not least, but also the most uncomfortable, Aunt Jemima pancake mix was whisked into the consciousness of the public. Now, the company hired former slave and native Chicagoan Nancy Green to portray Aunt Jemima. She stood next to the world's largest flour barrel at 24 feet high, cooking pancakes for thousands of attendees, singing songs and telling stories of the Old South and how happy it was for all races. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. The uh, demos became so popular that special policemen were assigned to guard Green and her booth. Nancy Green was awarded a medal for showmanship, uh, and the Davis Milling Company, who owned the brand, got 50,000 new orders. Nancy Green would portray the character thousands of more times over the course of her life at fairs, festivals, etc. Even with all the success, though, Nancy Green died a pauper and was buried in an unmarked grave. In 2020, after her burial place was identified, she received a proper headstone. The brand of Aunt Jemima was around until... 2021. Yes. Which it's just, uh, when the new name was changed to the Pearl Milling Company, it took 128 years for them to change the name. Which Did, is, did they change the image on the... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's just a log cabin now ah. or something. Now, let's get into those fun, fun countries. Oh, the countries that showed up. Yep. Now... On the 690 acres, there were 46 countries represented with pavilions. It was the first World Fairs to have national pavilions. Each country would name a national delegate. Here are just some highlights from the different country pavilions. And this is literally just me going through because there's just some crazy shit. Norway may have had one of the best, though. I want to start off, in my opinion, at least. They recreated a 9th century Viking ship and sailed it across the Atlantic. A crew of 12 men. Wow. And they also recreated an 11th century Norse church. France had scaled down replicas of French architecture and relics from French history. Ceylon, which is now Sri Lanka, constructed a Ceylon-style building in Ceylon and shipped it to Chicago. 
they also had elaborately carved wood decorations and figures of Buddha and Vishnu. Costa Rica displayed art, coffee, birds, other Costa Rican specialties. Turkey displayed fabrics, me mechanical and scientific products, and Turkish rugs. So these countries are allowed now to be like, hey, this and this is what we want to bring. Yeah. As opposed to what you think. Yeah. This okay, got yes. it. I mean, it really was a way for people to see the world without leaving. You know what I mean? Like what the internet is now, but actually being able to physically see it, but like you get an idea. Touch it. Yeah, exactly. Thirty-four U.S. states had pavilions, while four U.S. territories were represented. Most of their displays were just architecture styles or paintings of famous people in the states represented. You know, just all the fun stuff: foods, minerals. Some weird quirks, though. Michigan Pavilion was open for twenty-four hours. To residents of Michigan, Kansas had a miniature train of the Kansas and Topeka Railroad, as well as a Liberty Bell made of grains and grasses. On the Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe. Pennsylvania had the actual Liberty Bell, along with Ben Franklin's first lightning rod and Thomas Jefferson's sword. So, uh, Arkansas had a fountain made of crystals found in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Ooh. Maryland had a display showing off their oyster industry. Idaho's business was a rustic log cabin designed by Kirkland Cutter, and it was very popular with attendees. Estimated 18 million visitors went to this log cabin. Massachusetts had witchcraft manuscripts. Uh, they were owning it? They were like, hey, we got witches. <laughs> yeah. Stay the fuck away from Massachusetts. Yeah, like It's like, this is a terrible thing that happened 200 years ago. Look, but it was still on 200 years ago. Look, before you all cancel us, we're going to cancel ourselves and just take responsibility, okay? So this year, here's the witches. <laughs> but California... Oh, shit. <laughs> California is known, uh, for people on the outsiders, for being kind of extra. I mean, I know. I I've lived in California. You're a Californian. But, yeah, extra. Well, boy, were they extra still back in 1893. How much avocado was on display? Well, this is what they showed off. Extra, extra. Sculptures made of fresh oranges... A train carved out of a giant redwood tree, a 127-year-old palm tree, and a fountain of red wine. That's since that is like that is extra. This yeah, is that's just like come on, we get it. Now, here's some music stuff that happened. Music was a big part of you know society even back then. Can you believe it? John Philip Sousa's band played the exposition dedication celebration to kick off the celebration on October 1892. Scott Joplin, he became a very popular playing piano at the fair. The first Indonesian music performance in the U.S. was at the Expo. A group of hula dancers led to a Hawaiian music becoming more popular amongst Americans. Ah. A pipe organ with over 3,900 pipes. 3,900 pipes. One of the world's largest was built and was one of the first great organs to rely on electrical connections from the keys to its pipes. I don't feel like I haven't given you enough random facts or honorable mentions yet. So this section is called Honorable, honorable mentions, mentions and Interesting <laughs> Facts. Great. I can't wait. What an inventive way of doing it. Go ahead. <laughs> Buffalo Bill Cody applied for and was denied a spot at the fair. But would that stop someone like Buffalo Bill Cody? No, no. He went to Chicago anyway, set a Buffalo Bill's Wild West show right outside the edge Fuck of the expo. Yeah. It was later looked at as a bad idea that they didn't uh, book him because he made a ton of money. People would have fucking loved that. Louis Comfort Tiffany, son of Charles Louis Tiffany, founder of Tiffany's, designed a stunning chapel interior for the expo, go to be sold numerous times before and winding up in a 
museum, but he became like a huge stained glass artist. Edouard Moybridge gave lectures on the science of animal locomotion. The public would pay to watch him use his zoopraxiscope to show the moving his moving pictures. A zoo oh. a zoopraxiscope was an early device that was used to display moving images, an important predecessor to the movie projector. So if we take into consideration all these technicalities, which we do here at This Was a Thing, yes. the retro podcast. The zoographical hall in the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition would have been the first ever commercial movie theater. Oh, my God. So, yeah. So people would you know pay an entrance to go see him talk using this moving images. So, you know, when you put all the technicalities together, it can be considered. You Incredible. know what I mean? This is a fun fair. Yeah. So earlier I told you that I would tell you about people who attended this fair. And I'm going to tell you right now, this list, the World's Columbian Exposition, was the event of 1893. This meant that it was most notable people passed through the expo. Industrialist and socialite John Jacob Astor, American Red Cross founder Clara Bow, Wizard of Oz author Frank L. Baum, a year after acquittal, Lizzie Borden, <laughs> author, author Edgar Rice Burroughs, steel magnate Andrew Carnegie, inventor George Washington Carver, who I'm sure had something to say about that medicinal peanut paste, yeah. 22nd and 24th president Grover Cleveland, along with his wife Frances and baby Ruth, Lobin Wyatt Earp, Bitter and outbid inventor Thomas Edison, Archduke of Austria and cause of World War One, Franz Ferdinand, car maker and anti-Semite Henry Ford, newspaper publisher and all-around bad guy William Randolph Hearst, Helen Keller and teacher Annie Sullivan, 25th president William McKinley, father of national parks John Muir, national treasure Will Rogers, 26th president Theodore Roosevelt and his kid cousin 32nd president Franklin Delano Roosevelt, author Mark Twain, also known as Samuel Clemens, architect Frank Lloyd Wright, aviators Wilbur and Orville Wright. Oh, God, get him up. Get him up. Get him up. You did beautiful. Okay, I'm going to talk about the controversy, and then we're going to go into a little break. The controversy? So there's been a fair share of controversy surrounding the expo. While the name, the White City, came from all the white spray paint, it would soon be realized that it was also the White City because there certainly wasn't a lot of opportunities or exhibits to mention People of color. Mm. The women's building, there were two small exhibits that addressed women of color. One was called the Afro-American, and it was a dist in the distant corner of a building. The other was called Women's Work in Savagery. It displayed baskets, weavings, and African, Native American, and Polynesian arts. The works were made by women of color, but the display showed them off as if to say, look how far we've come. Mm. As a response, major civil rights leaders of the time, Ida B. Wells, Franklin Douglas, Irvine Garland Penn, and Ferdinand Lee Bar Barnett, wrote and circulated a pamphlet at the expo titled, The Reason Why the Colored American is Not in the World Columbian Exposition. Mm. The pamphlet argued that the organizers had deliberately left out African Americans from the white city in order to shame the Negro. Robert Rydell, who wrote that book, All the World's Affair, makes the point that organizers divided the fair into two racially specific areas. The white city showed advancement and white civilization while the midway plaisance presented the underdeveloped barbarism of uncivilized dark races after the break we'll talk about a little bit of the legacy that this had besides just the stuff that's still around today from it which blows my mind during the break are you cool if i get down off this ferris wheel i've been up here for quite some time now this was a thing this was a thing and now this is a sketch
Officer, officer, I need to report a crime. Hey, slow down there, fellow. Now calm down. What happened? My betrothed, she's, she has fallen to her untimely demise. Fallen, you say? Uh, must have been pretty high up. What building did she leap from? It wasn't a building. It was... How do I describe this? Have you been to the exposition? Nope. Uh, they got me out here keeping an eye on old Wild Bill. I uh, haven't gotten a chance. Well, there's this giant wheel. Giant wheel. Yes. Now, how big we talking? Size of a building. You're here to tell me that there's a giant wheel the size of a building. Well, I think you're a kook. I swear it goes round and round. Gr- great sights of the city. Okay, bub. I'll feel you before I haul you in for public intoxication. Please, officer, come with me. Just look. My lord, you're right. You were telling the truth. And you say it killed your betrothed. Yes, my dear cousin Francis. Yeah, I see your body there as cold as Lake Michigan on a winter's day. All right, I'm bringing this death wheel in. Where are my cuffs? What are you going to do with the cuffs? Arrest the wheel. Aren't they a little small? This will hold them until backup arrives. Okay, you, wheel. Uh, His name is Ferris. You, Ferris Wheel. Stop where you are! What? Sir, with the barbershop pole coat, get out of the way! The death wheel is coming for you! It's a Ferris wheel! A what? A Ferris wheel! It moves you in a circular motion to see the city! I control it! Well, wouldn't you know it? That is an incredible feat of engineering! <laughs> it's amazing, right? Technology! Yeah. We might live to see us live on the moon here! That's next year! <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Now that the woman at your feet, is she dead? Oh, yeah, she was performing fellatio on her cousin and fell out. I knew they were up to something when I saw him cutting a circular hole in his new recipe, Cracker Jack's box. <laughs> oh, seems like someone didn't tell the whole truth. You're right. I'm sorry when they say that they used molasses. Now, look, I just have this thing for sticky foods. Ah, go on with you. It's the expo. Get yourself some Dr. Welsh's non-fermented grape wine. Thanks, officer. I love this expo. (laughs) Oh, the indigenous sounds of Arabia. Am I in the desert? (laughs) Ah, no, it's almost freezing temperature, so... Hey, whoa, Wild Bill! Hey, that's not a cap gun! You crazy guy! (laughs) Thank you. This was a sketch. Obviously, once the exposition was done, they had to put Chicago back into shape. They tore down most of the buildings. The public library is still up, but other places put money in toward the buildings, and those buildings, I think, were built with a little bit better, you know, structure and stuff. But the rest of them weren't supposed to stay up that long. The Ferris wheel was moved to the north side of Chicago, where it stayed until it was displayed at the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis. A positive that did come out of planning the expo was that it showed that it was possible to put together a large city fairly smoothly when all different types of planners put their heads together, you know, so kind of paved the way for modern planning. So, you know, you get the parks guy with the roads and stuff as opposed to just, okay, they're going to go do the parks over here, like putting it together and making it one big cohesive, nice moving, you know, making sense of it and stuff. This was one of the first places that brought that. It also led what is called the City Beautiful Movement. Its intent was to introduce beautification and and sense of grandeur in cities. It was not only to promote beauty, but also help create a sense of moral and civil virtue among the urban populations. You know, just sounds like a bunch of white people shit to me. Oh, my God. The white city would go on to inspire other cities to take part in the beautification of things. Anything that a municipal government was responsible for. 
it was getting beautified. Streets, public buildings, public spaces, etc. It was all getting beautified only for the Great Depression to come around. Oh, no, no. Just screw things up. No. World's Fair continued the Sky Needle in, in, uh, yes. in, in Seattle's from one i think in the 50s so like architecture stayed around and this i think 64 there was a world's fair disney put a lot of money into it and so it's a small world autopia just so many so world's fairs aren't around as much anymore but there are so many different random conventions that are specific you know so there's electronics convention that you can go to as opposed to like everyone just going to this one fair seeing stuff like on the internet is cool but you know when you can see something in person or whatever like that is cool to see you know and this was people had what a newspaper printed twice a day. That's how they got there. You know, didn't there wasn't there a nightly paper? Yes. So it's like you yes. know, like that was how people got to know about things. And evening, know, they, yeah, morning news, evening they news. They hardly, yeah. they hardly got a chance to go out and see stuff. So I feel like these world fairs were really big, and it also put together all types of people. You, you know what I mean? Like I'm sure a lot of these people wouldn't rub elbows outside of the world's fair. So. I wouldn't rub elbows with anybody now. There's still a pandemic going on, right? That's fair. Oh boy. Want to play a game? Yeah. Okay. This was a thing and now it's a quiz. This is a this was a quiz. With Mark Schroeder. Now, Mark, did you get a chance to see the 1893 World's Fair? I was busy that week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it actually, it, it lasted a couple months, buddy. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I was working 20-hour uh, days in a soot factory. We just manufactured soot. <laughs> okay. Um, it was, well, that try, meant, okay. I, worked, I started working in H3. Okay, okay. I get it. And, You've been uh, working a while. Still be- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, World's Fair, they're pretty fun. But this game, you know, a little abstract, a little strange. So this game is actually called World's Fair or World's Unfair. You guys are going to go compete against each other, but you're going to take turns. I'm going to give hmm. you five real-world events from the past, the present, or the future. And you guys are going to tell me if those events were fair or unfair. So this is a subjective game, and maybe oh, the, the okay. listeners can decide, too. They're speed rounds. I'm going to give them to you really quick. you got to impulsively just tell me if this was fair or unfair. Shit. Wow, you each okay. get five. You decide who goes first. Who went first last time? I went first last time. So you, you right. All right. Here we go. Hitting you with it. At the U.S. box office, Tombstone makes more money than Wyatt Earp. Fair. Healthy adults are recommended to get between seven and nine hours of sleep a night. Uh, fair. The ever-brightening sun will vaporize all of the Earth's water in 1.5 billion years. Unfair. The Star Wars prequels. Uh, now, I, I, as an adult, I say fair. Lorena Bobbitt cuts off her husband's Unfair. penis. Unfair. Fair. Well, yeah, I mean, for what he was an asshole, yes. So, uh, look, yeah, uh, okay, yeah. All right, Robbie, you ready? How's I your brain am. doing? Okay, here we go. Pete Best is replaced by Ringo Starr as the drummer for the Beatles in 1962. Unfair. Oh, wait, 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 no. Pete Best is replaced? Fair. Very fair. Very fair. Farrah Fawcett dies on the same day as Michael Jackson. Unfair. Jeff Bezos becomes the world's richest man. Fair. The Geico Caveman ABC sitcom is canceled after six episodes. Fair. The 1994 crime bill. Unfair. Okay. We'll see. History will judge you based on what you recorded here. <laughs> did, you know, did you know that the Geico Caveman is still acting? Is he really? Yeah. In the prosthetics? He, yes, actually, he's in prosthetics. <laughs> I saw his Richard III. And this is, this, is, this is for real. He is playing Herman Munster in Rob Zombie's Munster film. The guy, that's the Geico caveman from the- Get out. Yeah. 
Oh my god! The guy, the guy so playing Herman Munster the, is, is literally yeah. On. He's still wearing prosthetics. Yes, for Magnum Brown. That is so cool. Oh my gosh! Okay, it was, and they filmed in Bulgaria. Ooh, I love Bulgaria. Yeah, I say, well, it's going to hit that real core Munster's hungry audience base that's <laughs> dying for that new Munster's. Just Grandpa Al Lewis fans, and that's just me. Uh, hey, Ray, I'm a Grandpa Al uh, Lewis fan. Oh my god, Herman! <laughs> exactly. Herman, if the man wants a piece of pie. Give them a piece of pie. <laughs> That's when they're the. <laughs> Ray, where can people find us? Uh, well, right now I'm just in my office. No, no, I meant like social media wise. Got it. Uh, every time. Uh, this was a thing pod on uh, on Instagram. www.thiswasathing.com is our website, or you can go to Patreon.com/slash This Was a Thing. Old Lucy level five dollars a month gets you tons and tons of exclusive content. And I mean, it's it's there. New stuff's coming all the time. Just get ready. It's a it's a barn burner. Things are happening. Woo! Put them out. Put them out, Rob. Woo! Put them out. Oh my god. I need an out. extinguisher. I need an extinguisher. Are you okay? Are you okay? I'm good. Okay. I am pumped with all the new stuff coming out. Folks, uh, we're going to go now, but uh, uh see you later. Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cut Cut Schwartzberg, our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese, our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford, our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing Too Graphic DeSavia, and finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Was a Thing Pod and Facebook we are This Was a Thing Podcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you. And if you really liked what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors, and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was a Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show. 